Welcome to the Thurfield Chapel Sermon Podcast. Welcome. Uh, my name's Paul. I serve as part of the leadership team here as a pastor. Great to see you here uh, this morning. I've got to dash off quickly at the end of the service, and that's no comment on anyone who's here. It is good to see you, uh, but I've got to go to um, Great Chesterford uh, Chapel there this afternoon, so I'm not trying to avoid you if you wonder where I've gone. Yeah, we are looking at um, two verses slightly different to what was advertised uh, maybe last week. Uh, In looking at the passage, I realized I was just going to try and shoehorn too much in. Um, So we're just going to focus in on those two verses. Thank you to Andrew for your flexibility. um, Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Because I've given Andrew more next week. Um, But I think there's a more natural... Uh, divide there. Uh, but before we, we come to look further at these verses, let's pray once again. Uh, Father, we thank you uh, that you are the infinite and great God. And then even when we're just looking at, at something small, Lord, there is much that you can show us. May you show us much of your muchness, Lord, this morning, much of your greatness. Uh, give us eyes to see, Lord, and hearts that would believe, or to know and to trust you in all things. Amen. So uh, we come this morning to a saying that is treasured and loved by many, many people. Do not judge and you will not be judged. I mean, this is the ultimate trump card, isn't it? This is the card that can be played to put an end to all awkward conversations. Jesus says, do not judge. Uh, If anyone feels that they've been got at, if we feel that we've been got at, this is the card to play. Jesus says, don't judge, so don't don't judge me. Get off my back. Do not judge. But is that what Jesus meant by these words? When Jesus says, do not judge, does he mean that it's wrong to make any sort of judgment? That we should never seek to correct one another or others. Does this mean that we should be light on sin? Now we just say it doesn't matter how people live. We're just meant to let everyone get on living life the way that they choose to. What does Jesus mean here by do not judge? Uh, Many years ago, I served part-time as a lifeguard. And one of the things they taught us in lifeguard training was how to affect a spinal injury rescue. So you just imagine the scenario, there's someone who's gone swimming, they've ignored the warning signs and they dive into water that is too shallow, hit their head on the bottom of the pool, compress their spine, knock themselves unconscious and they float to the surface face down. What are you going to do? If you leave them in that position, they're going to drown. If you jump in the water and haul them out onto the side, you're probably going to paralyze them for life. So what do you do in that situation? And we were taught and we were trained and we spent many, many hours doing this of ways that you can move towards the person. You you turn them over uh, and get them to the side and get them out all the while keeping their spine perfectly in line. Now, it wasn't a quick rescue. It wasn't a comfortable rescue. As a lifeguard, it meant putting yourself in very awkward 
positions, often being submerged under the water, holding a body up. So it wasn't quick, it wasn't comfortable. But it was something that we had to spend many, many hours practicing. When it came to the exam, this was one of the things that would just be an automatic fail. If you mess this up, then it doesn't matter what else you did in your exam, you failed. This wasn't a situation that we were to take lightly. But we had to be light in our touch, light in the way that we moved towards people. And Jesus' command, do not judge, in some ways is similar to a spinal rescue. And what we're going to see this morning as we dig into it, that Jesus isn't commanding us to just let people live as they see fit, just to ignore people. In fact, quite the opposite. As lifeguards, we're taught you don't just leave that body face down in the water. You need to move towards them, but you move towards them in a gentle manner. And Jesus calls his disciples, he calls us to do the same. To move towards others, to move to each other, to move towards this broken world, towards broken people with great gentleness. So we're continuing our series in Luke's Gospel, Luke, which is written to demonstrate uh, that Jesus is indeed the fulfillment of all that God has planned, of all that God has promised. From the very beginning, his purpose has been that the blessing of his presence extend over the whole earth. Jesus comes to bring about that blessing. God is committed to that purpose, that purpose of blessing. God is so committed to that purpose that he won't leave us where we're at. He loves us too much for that. But God in his great love has moved towards us. Jesus Christ, God incarnate, God has come towards us, moved towards us so that we might move towards him. And Jesus preaches this sermon. This is an extended sermon that we've been reading about over the last uh, few weeks. And a crowd has gathered to listen to Jesus' teaching. There's a mix in that crowd. There's a number of disciples, quite a number of disciples who are there and also the newly appointed 12 apostles. And they're all there listening, and then people who travel great distances to hear what Jesus is teaching. And we've seen how this comes in the context of Jesus facing this increased opposition. So in verse 11 of chapter 6, these religious leaders who are beside themselves with anger because Jesus isn't playing according to their rules. And they start discussing what they might do to Jesus. And now Jesus is delivering this sermon. Delivering this sermon really on discipleship and what does it mean to live as disciples in a context where people and a culture doesn't follow Jesus, where it can be hard to follow Jesus. Jesus teaches his disciples what it means for them to live as disciples, as people of the kingdom. And we saw several weeks back how one of Jesus' messages, the first thing we looked at was don't compromise. When life is difficult... Don't try to make things easier by compromising because ultimately that is a path that leads to misery and to ruin. And then Jesus goes on to say, as we looked at last week, but also don't attack back. When times are hard and when you are facing opposition for following Christ, don't attack back. Don't pay back wrong with wrong. Instead, repay back wrong with good. And when people curse you, pay it back with blessing. And we are to be merciful 
as our Father is merciful, verse 36. And then it's in that context uh, that we come to these words, do not judge. In fact, there's an untranslated connective uh, with verse 37, like the word and. We don't get it in our translation, but really reads, be merciful just as your Father is merciful and do not judge. This is the context in which we read these words, do not judge, in the mercy of God. How then are we as followers of Jesus Christ? How are we to move toward others as Jesus did? Now, even when uh, the environment around us is hostile, what does it mean to do that in this context of mercy? What does it mean to be light? Not lights on sin, but lights in touch. So Jesus says in verse 37, Do not judge, and you will not be judged. Do not condemn, and you will not be condemned. So the first question we really want to ask is, well, what is meant by the term judge? Jesus says, do not judge. What's this judging that we shouldn't engage in? Well, the word judge is used a number of ways in Scripture. One of the meanings behind it can be to condemn in a legal sense. So to legally condemn someone. Uh, And later in Luke's second volume, the book of Acts, uh, Acts 13, uh, we read uh, that sense being used. So in verse 27 of Acts 13, the people of Jerusalem and their rulers did not recognize Jesus, yet in condemning him, and it's the same word there, judge, in condemning, uh, in judging. So the word judge can mean to condemn someone in a legal sense. And just notice here in chapter 6, verse 37, how do not judge is paired with do not condemn. Do not judge, do not condemn. In, in the context here, to, to judge means to make that pronouncement that this person is beyond the point of redemption. Is to condemn this person. If we go back to our lifeguard metaphor, it's like a lifeguard standing there, seeing that body face down in the water and making the judgment they're dead. That's a corpse that's floating. There's nothing that I need to do. That's a job for the police, not for me. You don't want a lifeguard to operate like that, do you? Don't judge in that way, Jesus is saying. It's a judgment that basically writes someone off that says this person is beyond hope, beyond redemption, beyond the grace of God. It was the kind of judgment that we read about back in chapter 5. When the religious leaders, they criticize Jesus' disciples and Jesus for the company that they are keeping. When they say, why are you hanging out with these tax collectors and with these sinners? These people who were written off, who were considered beyond the grace of God. And Jesus is saying to his disciples, he's saying to those who are listening, don't be like that. Don't judge, don't condemn in that manner. Don't write people off as being beyond the grace of God. And given the context of this passage, then do not judge. It doesn't mean just leave someone alone to live life the way that they choose to. In fact, it means the very opposite. Just as Jesus moved towards that group, that group of outcasts. 
To not judge means moving towards others in mercy. Just look again at verse 37. And you see there are two things that we're not to do, and then two things that we are actively to do. So do not judge, do not condemn. But then forgive and give. So don't judge, don't condemn. But then forgive and give. It's an active moving towards someone. And that term forgiveness uh, speaks of releasing. uh, Releasing from bondage. Releasing from a bondage that, that someone is bound to you in some way. And that forgiving and giving, it picks up on what we were looking at last week as we see this connection between uh, these passages when Jesus talks about giving and don't expect, don't demand repayment. Now you release from that bondage, from that obligation. Forgive uh, and give. And this is all coming within this context, verse 36, of be merciful just as your Father is merciful. Don't judge. Don't condemn. Don't write people off as being beyond the grace of God. Rather, move towards them. Move towards them in mercy. And this is something that the Pharisees failed to do. So Jesus says, don't judge. Don't condemn. But he isn't speaking to the Pharisees. We have no mention of the Pharisees being part of this group. This is a large crowd that has gathered. We've got disciples We've got the 12 apostles. There's no mention of Pharisees. Jesus isn't rebuking the Pharisees at this point. He's saying to his disciples, he's saying to those who are listening, he is saying to us, don't judge and don't condemn. Because this isn't just a Pharisaical problem. This isn't just a problem of the Pharisees. It's not unique to the Pharisees. It's a human problem. It's a problem of the human heart. The cancel culture is our modern day equivalent, really, of the Pharisees' approach. I think I touched on it briefly a few weeks back. If you don't know, cancel culture is basically if someone speaks or someone acts in a manner that is deemed by the dominant voice in that culture to be unacceptable, then they're ostracized. Now, they may have done something wrong. They may not have done. But if someone says or acts in a manner that contradicts what the dominant voice in that culture thinks is acceptable, then that person gets ostracized. They get canceled. In terms of celebrities, uh, it's normally quite obvious and stark. It may mean that they, they lose contracts. Uh, maybe some sort of acting or publishing contract. Uh, Maybe they lose some sort of sponsorship because companies do not want to be associated with that person. Maybe some of their friends, even celebrity friends who've known them for years, all of a sudden distance themselves from them, speak against that person because it is dangerous to be associated with that individual. There's this fear of association. Because there's a cultural wave of hatred that can come at that person and everyone gets, gets fearful of being caught up in that. That if I don't distance myself, if I don't cancel that person, then I myself am going to be canceled. 
And so there's this pressure, this pressure to join the wave, otherwise the wave is going to turn against you. And this so-called righteous indignation that is often shown in reality is really a form of self-preservation. And what drives it is either I cancel that person, I join the crowd with their voice, or I get cancelled. And you can understand the fear behind it, because let's face it, human anger can get very ugly very, very quickly, especially on social media. It's a massive wave that builds up. This huge wave, and there's very little mercy in it. If you don't jump on that bandwagon of cultural judgment, then you will get judged. And so human experience teaches us that it's like this. Cancel culture says, if you do not judge, we will judge you. And if you do not condemn, we will condemn you. If you forgive, we will never forgive you. And if you give, we will take from you. And it is easy for us to assume that God operates the same way. This is how human culture often operates, and it's easy for us to assume that God is like us. And that's the mistake the Pharisees made. They assumed that God was like them. They didn't know what God was like. And so canceling people, judging and condemning them, not because of any righteous indignation, but from fear and a desire for self-preservation. And saying, I'm going to cancel this person, and I'm going to cancel this group, so that God doesn't cancel me. And really, what lies behind that is a heart that fails to believe the gospel. At the heart of that issue is a heart that fails to believe the gospel. Now, if we, if we judge, if we condemn in the manner here that Jesus forbids, there are really sort of two things that are going on, two things that we are holding onto in that moment. And that's the belief that God is quick to get angry and is very, very short, if anything, in showing mercy. That God is quick to anger and shows little to no mercy. And that we can somehow atone for our own sins through a so-called self-righteous indignation. Now, of course, no one's going to express it like that. We wouldn't express it like that. It's possible to hold on to an orthodox Christian belief to... To hold on to the creeds, the songs that we've been singing this morning, to say, I believe in God the Father, the Son, I believe in the Trinity, I believe in the atoning death of Christ. We can say those things, and yet we can still live in a manner of judging and condemning, in a manner that Jesus forbids here. And what that reveals is where our heart really is at that point in time, what it is that we are really believing. And it reveals that the issue is that we're not believing the gospel. We're holding on to something else. If we join in with this approach of canceling others, 
even in the name of God. The issue is not merely that we're critical and we just need to be less critical in life. The issue is that we are not believing the gospel in that moment and we need to come back to the gospel. To see that we don't atone for our sin. That Christ has paid that price once and for all. That we don't get ourselves into God's good books by angrily railing against the sin of others. That we are brought near to God by one and one means only. Through the atoning, self-giving sacrifice of Christ himself. You know, it is, it is good and it is right that God displays his anger against something that is so harmful and destructive as sin. That's a good thing. It's a good thing that God will not allow sin to, to go on unchecked. But God is not quick to get angry. Scripture tells us that God is slow to anger. I mean, it's good that he gets angry, but he is slow to anger, and he is rich in mercy. And at the cross of Christ, what we see is justice is done, but mercy overflows. God is one who does justice, but he loves mercy. He overflows in mercy. And so human experience tells us, if you do not judge, we will judge you. If you do not condemn, we will condemn you. If you forgive, we will never forgive you. And if you give, we are going to take from you. But God is not like us. And so what Jesus says here in verse 37 is the exact opposite of what we come to expect from our human experiences. Because Jesus says, do not judge and you will not be judged. Do not condemn, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Do the world may condemn you uh, if you show mercy, how quickly social media will turn on you. If you show the slightest sign of mercy on someone that culture has decided needs to be canceled. But God is not like us. And you cannot outdo God when it comes to mercy. Give and it will be given to you, Jesus says. A good measure pressed down, shaken together, running over will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you used, it will be measured to you. I just think for a moment of a pick and mix. Maybe remember those days in Woolworths. Days of the past long gone now, but you can still get those pick and mix from Wilco, Tesco. There are two ways that you can buy pick and mix. You can purchase it by weight in a bag, or you can get it in a cup or a container. If you want to get your money's worth, go for the cup. Because it doesn't matter how much or how little you get in it. It's a flat rate for the cup. And there is a technique if you are using a cup. Now, if you like strawberry laces or, or licorice things, you want to sort of spiral them around the outside of the cup first uh, and then get the heavy, bulky things in at the bottom, like your fudge and stuff. 
And then it's the smaller things. You pour them in later. That will fill all the gaps. And you press it all down. And make sure you get in as much as possible. You definitely get your money's worth uh, if you do that. Now, Jesus uses a similar uh, image here, but from the marketplace. And here, it's the seller, though, who is pressing down, who's squeezing uh, as much into this container as possible. So it's all pressed down, shaken together, running over, and then uh, this holding the container in the fold of your garment. This is the first century equivalent of a bag for life. So you hold it in your garment. And then the seller pours even more in. So it's overflowing. This is like buying fries at Five Guys, uh, if you've ever been there. It's overflowing. Flows out into whatever bag that you're trying to carry things in. This is an overflowing measure. And Jesus takes this image that is familiar. It's familiar for us in a slightly different way. But he takes this familiar image in order to draw out this point of saying you cannot outdo God when it comes to giving. And remember this context here with verse 36 is mercy. That you cannot outdo God in mercy. God gives and it overflows. The mercy of God overflows. It's always more than we deserve. It's always more than we can handle. Jesus says, with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Now those words, they can either be a severe warning or they can be wonderfully free. Depends what measure you're using. Are we casting off in condemnation or are we mercifully moving towards? Because of who God is and what God has done for us in Christ, we are freed to not judge and to not condemn and to not cancel others. We're free to move towards others. We've been free to move towards others in mercy because God is one who is rich in mercy and you cannot outdo God when it comes to mercy. It is impossible for any of us to be more merciful than God. Now, sometimes that can be a struggle to believe. Now, there are experiences that we have in life. There are people that we've encountered. Our experiences maybe in growing up with friends and with family. And it can leave us questioning, is God really merciful? We live in a broken world. Now, just like a broken mirror, the image that gets reflected is often distorted. We don't always see things clearly. Things don't always work out in the way that they're supposed to. Things don't reflect in the way that they're supposed to. But if we want a clear image of who God is, once again, we need to come back to the gospel. We come back to Jesus. Who, we are told, is the image of the invisible God. That when we look at Jesus He that is invisible, who's beyond our comprehension. The God that we cannot see is seen. What is invisible is made visible. That he is the image of the invisible God. If we want to see what God is like, then we need to look at Jesus. Jesus doesn't show us just part of what God is like. 
We see God for who he is as we look at Jesus. And Jesus is the measure of God's mercy. And we're going to share a communion shortly. And as we do that, it's an opportunity for us to remember and to fix our gaze and our focus on the mercy of God as revealed in Jesus Christ. That God is not one who wrote us off. He didn't cast us off and cast us aside. He moved towards us. Now, when we weren't interested, when we had no desire for God, and in fact, for every single one of us here, before we were even born and had done anything, God moved towards us. He moves towards us in Jesus Christ. As we consider the sacrifice for sin that, that Christ made, as he gave himself for us, yes, we see the seriousness of sin. We see that in the cost that it took for Jesus to rescue us, but we also see the mercy of God. That it's while we were still sinners that Christ died for us. He didn't wait till we reached up and we reached out to Him. He reached down to us while we were still sinners. Be merciful, verse 36, just as your Father is merciful. And do not judge, and you will not be judged. Do not condemn, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over will be poured into your lap. For with the same measure you use, it will be measured to you. Jesus is not teaching us here to be light on sin, but to be light in touch. As Jesus moved towards others, those that the culture around him had canceled, what did he say back in verse 32 of chapter 5? I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Jesus wasn't light on sin. He didn't say it doesn't matter how people live doesn't condemn, he doesn't condone. He doesn't cancel sinners, but he calls sinners to repentance. He calls people to himself. And so too as disciples that we are to move toward others, to the outsider, to the outcast. We're to move toward each other with that same mercy. Because as we've considered this morning, the gospel, it isn't just something that people out there need to believe, something that we need to believe, that we need to keep on believing. That's where the hope, that's where the change, that's where the transformation comes. And where we do find ourselves erring, where we do find ourselves falling into sin, as we move towards that person, we need to move towards them with the mercy, with the gentleness of Christ, and with that gospel message. We need others to move towards us in the same way. We move towards in the mercy of Christ. As a lifeguard performing a spinal rescue, it wasn't quick. It wasn't comfortable. And as we move towards others, as we move toward one another, it's not necessarily going to be quick. It shouldn't be quick. And it won't be comfortable. 
And there may be times where others will disdain us, where they will speak against us, just as they spoke against Jesus. But we are free. We have been freed to show that mercy. We don't need to get caught up in this cultural wave of, of cancel culture. Whether that's inside or whether that's outside the church. But because of who God is and what God has done. We are freed and we are commanded to move towards others. And to show mercy. And so let's do that. Let's move toward each other. Let's move toward a broken and hurting world. Let's move toward broken people. Not to judge, not to condemn. But in forgiveness uh, and in this grace of giving with this message of the mercy of Christ. Just before we come to share communion together, we're going to sing again. Um, the band want to, to come up. We're going to sing a, of God's mercy. And this message of mercy, the third verse puts it like this. What riches of kindness he lavished on us. This abundant pouring out of God's mercy. His blood was a payment. His life was the cost. We stood neath the debt we could never afford. Our sins, they are many, but his mercy is more. Let's stand together and sing His Mercy is More. Thank you for listening. If you have any questions or would like prayer relating to anything you've just heard, then please do get in touch. We would love to hear from you. You can do so by emailing us using hello at thurfieldchapel.org or fill in the contact form on our website or send us a message on social media. Thank you again. Please do join us next week online or in Thurfield itself at one of our services or events. We would be delighted to welcome you. God bless.